Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Zach Seward, that's Jensen Assey, and that is also Will Foxley. We're your hosts today, and we are here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto news. I think I'm starting us off with an update on the FTX bankruptcy proceeding. Let's do this thing. So FTX has tapped Galaxy, formerly Galaxy Digital, to sell stake and hedge its crypto billions. This is a major development for the bankrupt exchange as it looks to get back on its feet and also return value to its many stakeholders. Let's talk about this one. And then we got another little quick story that we can get to here. FTX tapping Galaxy. Interesting. Uh, Galaxy, uh, obviously the merchant bank helmed by Mike Novogratz, very prominent in the space with a number of different arms, touching ventures, touching trading, touching all sorts of things. going to throw this to you, Will. Reading between the lines here, what do you think is going on with this headline? Yeah, I think there's just like a lot of cash that the FTX estate needs to get working for the creditors. I mean, they even talked a few weeks ago about how the FTX estate has not moved forward with putting a lot of the treasury into UST bonds, which would make about 4 to 5%. That'd be pretty awesome for the billions that they're sitting on top of. And they declined to do that because it's another risk factor. But maybe they can't take these crypto assets and give them to someone else to do staking operations or something that's more native to cryptocurrency itself. And they can't do it right now with like the technology they have on hand because FTX itself has shut down and perhaps it never really existed in the first place. But Galaxy Digital certainly can do it. So they're going to hand it off. My question here is like, how much is Galaxy Digital going to charge for this? I'm sure it's not cheap. And as we'll get into for the next story here in a second, the FTX estate has not held its hand from spending money from uh, its vast treasury as of right now. They're spending about $1.5 million per day. So now, I could see Galaxy Digital making quite a bit of money on top of this. I just think that speaks to Galaxy Digital's strengths, right? They have so many different arms out there. They're really crypto merchant bank is what they've kind of been called. They have staking, they have trading, they have a research team. They have so much going on over there. So it makes sense for them to be tapped for this role. Jen? Yeah, you said pretty much everything I was going to say. The article says that John Jay Ray III is worried that selling all in one go could cause the price to plummet. So there has to be a strategy here. I think that Galaxy Digital is probably the right entity to tap in. If we think back to that story we talked about a few weeks ago now, there's this tension building, right, between the creditors committee 
and all of the lawyers and executives that are trying to tie up FTX as a state. The creditors committee is saying, hey, you're spending $1.5 million a day. It's equating to about $50 million a month. And then we have all of these assets that are just sitting around and doing nothing for us. I think this is one step in the in the right direction, maybe came out of that tension between the creditors committee and uh, John J. Ray and his team of lawyers and executives. And so I think this is a good step. But that $1.5 million is such a big number to swallow. I just wonder at the end of all of this, once everything is balanced out, how much will be left for the creditors. But unfortunately, this is just the way that uh, bankruptcies go. Zach, what did, what did you make of the numbers we saw in this? Yeah, Jen just front ran that next headline. Let's see the headline, Sorry. guys. $1.5 <laughs> million a day, $50 million a month, $200 million. It's very expensive, this mega confusing and complex bankruptcy case. And yeah, it's absolutely a point of contention for people who are looking to get as much on the dollar back as possible, right? If you see a legal team that's burning through these types of expenses, and you're just you know a small holder looking to get your, your cents on the dollar, it's very frustrating. So I think this is certainly a point of contention as we see, again, this kind of war of words between the competing parties in this long and protracted bankruptcy case. Those are my thoughts. That's kind of the high level of this other uh, development with the FTX bankruptcy story. I'll throw it to Will for uh, any additional thoughts that he might have. Yeah, I don't have much besides that. Like, I'm not an expert on Chapter 11 estates and because I don't have a ton of reference for how much they should be spending. It seems like too much. And like the creditors definitely think it's too much. And they've made a lot of appeals to both the estate and then all the governing parties that are overlooking the the sell of these assets and saying like, hey, you guys need to back off. You guys need to like be a little tighter with these things because every dollar that is not uh, spent on legal stuff should be going back to the creditors of the FTX estate. That seems to be falling on deaf ears. Again, that $1.5 million per day is pretty astounding. At the same time, you're looking at like the amount of credit that needs to be unwound, the amount of debt that needs to be unwound, the amount of just different various deals and fake or real business entities that need to be understood. There's a lot of work ahead of these people. So at some level, it does make sense. And good lawyers, good CPAs, they'd be expensive. Zach? Yeah. Another sort of like corresponding development is that like SBF, right? Who's in jail. Uh, he had been granted unlimited access to his lawyers ahead of the October 3rd hearing, uh, stressing the need for being able to prepare for this case and look through troves of documents relating to this thing. So this is the dribs and drabs of the legal process as it relates to the most spectacular implosion in crypto history. And, you know, I got I feel sympathy with Wendy, who on the show yesterday said, I just don't care. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of procedural stuff, but it all adds up to just the mounting tension and excitement over what will surely be the trial of the century as it relates to the crypto industry. So pretty wild, but I'll toss it to Jen. Yeah, I just want to add to that story you just brought up there, Zach. SBF is now allowed to be visited by his lawyers an unlimited amount of time while he's in jail. That is, of course, after he requested to be allowed to leave jail five days a week to meet with his lawyers in their Manhattan offices. That was declined, but his lawyers can visit him. But that's not anything new. Lawyers should usually be able to visit their clients during visiting hours for as long as they want and, and for as many times as they want. We had a lawyer on First Mover this morning who said the issue is that often the prisons, have, there are some barriers with dealing with the prisons and actually getting access to clients from lawyers. And so the reason that the judge said this is so that if there are any issues, the lawyers will be able to go back to the judge and get some kind of document saying that they are able to access SBF. So just a lot of legal stuff happening here, but nothing here is out of the ordinary. 
Okay, let's move over to Tornado Cashland. Unless you got something, stuff. Zach. Legal stuff. I just wanted to sing legal stuff. Legal stuff. So much legal <laughs> stuff. Okay, let's go to a more serious topic. Let's talk about Tornado Cash. Yesterday, the Department of Justice charged two Tornado Cash developers with helping hackers launder $1 billion, including infamous North Korean Lazarus Group. Roman Semenov and Roman Storms were both charged yesterday by the Department of Justice with Storms being arrested. There's still allegations out for Semenov. This $1 billion number just goes back to how much Tornado Cash application, which they both helped co-found, has moved over the various years since its launch in 2019 and then its relaunch in 2020. The hardest case is the debate over privacy and crypto. Can you move funds back and forth on one of these applications that swaps your crypto with another participant and sort of breaks the trail of where your crypto has been in the past? The Department of Justice thinks not, and it's coming after the developers for the people who made this. Of course, Alex Persefi, or excuse me, Pertive, was another developer for this application, and he has been in jail in the Netherlands since last year. Uh, and of course, those charges were similar, money laundering, assisting to launder money. Jen, I'll throw the story over to you, get your take on it. I'm going to request a fact check from our producers here. I believe he was let out of jail in April. He's awaiting trial now, but we will wait. For I think you're right. He was, uh... Stay tuned. Well, I think, okay, I think that this story is incredibly important for anyone who works in this industry to watch. Like the issue at the core of this is a huge one for anyone who works in DeFi anyone who deals with DAOs. I think last week we had a judge say that Tornado DAO should be seen as an entity. And so anyone working in the industry, any developer who's working with a DAO or DeFi product, I think should be watching this very closely because this is going to set precedent on whether if you are building something that is used by a bad guy to commit an alleged crime somewhere, you may be held liable. And it just really blows my mind every time I see a headline come out of this. I think the fact that it's attached to the North Korean hacker group Lazarus that I think we speak about on this show at least twice a week really kind of like makes it important for regulators and law enforcement and lawmakers to come down on Tornado Cash. But I think it's really important to highlight that, yes, bad guys use this platform, but also a lot of good guys use it. And Zach, I know that you're probably going to elaborate on that because you really drive that notion home every time we talk about this. So I'm going to pass this off to you now. Okay, pass it off to me. Yeah, the DOJ here is saying, hey, just because you made this tool that can be uh, that is a neutral platform for good and bad doesn't mean you can escape liability when bad happens, right? And that's a really significant blow to uh, the crypto space, right? People who are making these immutable smart contracts that are often used by people doing less than good things, right? So it is, I think, going to be a, a core tenet of the US legal system's approach to crypto enforcement going forward. Hey, just because you did this and put it out in the world, it doesn't absolve you from future actions that take place. And again, we're talking about North Korean hackers. We're talking about funding nuclear weapons development. This is big stuff that the government takes very seriously and kind of, again, goes to those big geopolitical issues that we were talking about yesterday as it relates to the future of crypto kind of unfolding here. Jen, I think I saw your hand. That could have been... just back up. No, I wasn't scratching an itch. I had it up. That, that same criminal defense lawyer that was on First Mover this morning, I referenced in our first segment, said that the DOJ will have to prove intent here and will have to prove that they knowingly facilitated these crimes for these hackers. And so it will be interesting to see what kind of arguments are used and what kind of evidence they have against the developers to prove that they knowingly facilitated these crimes. And so... I think it will be a good one to watch. Will, any last thoughts here? Okay, I got to fact check myself. So 
Alexi was let go of prison or removed from prison a few months ago. He doesn't have to wear an ankle monitor. Of course, he's facing similar charges that both Romans here in this case are also facing as of now. Uh, just OFAC coming down on everybody who is attempting to help them, quote unquote, launder money. I think like the docket is still out on that. These are still allegations that have to be proven in court, but definitely a negative look for, I think, privacy when it relates to cryptocurrency. Our next guests want to bridge the gap between entertainment and Web3. Joining us now to discuss is the actor best known for the smash hit comedy Napoleon Dynamite, John Hedder, and Verified Lab CEO Justin Trevor Winter. Welcome to the show to you both. Hello. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having us. We're, uh, we're, we're zooming in from our prison cells. So, um, we, you know. <laughs> this is white collar crime. Very we've on you can brand. see how nice. <laughs> Camp fed looking good. <laughs> Got a lot of books going in those prison cells. All right. On the topic of prison cells, let's talk about this. You have a project in the works called Fortune. It is a satire of SBF and FTX and all of this drama that we spoke about in the first part of the show. How closely are you following what's going on? Are we going to see the bail being revoked in the animated series and follow the drama as we are now? Like, what can we expect? Yeah, great question. Thanks for starting the top of the show, the FTX debacle. You know, it, we yeah, we teamed up with uh, a Web3 native animation studio, uh, Toonstar, to produce the series. Obviously, John uh, is starring in that series alongside TJ Miller. Um, we thought it was a great opportunity for us to utilize Web3 technology simply because, you know, when everything went down with FTX, uh, you had a bunch of traditional Hollywood scooping up the rights to the story, the Russo brothers, Adam McKay. You know, there's a TV show in the works, there's a movie in the works, but we're doing an animated series and we can push out content weekly because of the technology that we use. And so we can really stay up to date on everything that's happening. And as you know, the trial is going to be starting here soon towards the latter part of the year. We will be premiering the series in the latter part of the year as well. So we'll really be keeping up with everything that's happening in real time, making sure that we are making fun of everything and everyone. No one is safe in the world that we are creating. So we're super excited about it and excited to have John voicing one of those characters. I think he's voicing uh, Caroline Ellison, right? No, I'm just yeah. It's, it's pretty much a grab bag for uh, who I can play. Just reach in like, all right. Who's going to be this week? Maybe we'll just switch it every episode. <laughs> exactly. John, what's your favorite like absurdity within the whole FTX collapse? Surely you have a lot of material to draw from. There's so much uh, reporting that's gone on here. So I just am always curious for people's personal take, personal favorite, uh, especially through more comedic lens. What from the FTX implosion oh, strikes boy. you as most funny? Um, I think uh, what's most funny is it's pretty much Greek to me. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, you know, there's some interesting looking characters, but no, I, I mean, when I was approached about doing this project, I was like, wait, what, what, what is this? So I got on and I started, you know, reading up on kind of the story and just learning a bit about each of the players involved. And, um, I just think, uh, you know, at the heart of so much of this is all this talk of the, um, this altruistic uh, uh, philosophy that they follow, um, which, you know, is kind of like, you know, they're all following some kind of like this new, like helping the world by how, you know, like tearing down other things. But 
you know, here they are all in uh, hot water right now and uh, kind of facing these serious things. So I don't know. I, I think uh, there's some um, interesting karma happening right now. I'm not, sh- you know, I'm not sure, but I, yeah, I, I'm trying to make sense of it all as we go along. Justin, I want to ask about some of the other endeavors you guys are working on. I, I came across a video for you guys actually just yesterday. There was Tupac was involved, Whitney Houston, Ernest Hemingway somehow. How do you guys come across like purchasing this IP and then developing it into products for for Web three? What's that whole like process look like from a business standpoint? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, John and I co-founded Verified Labs a little over two years ago. You can consider us like a Web three agency or studio. We're an agency in the sense that we represent actors and actresses and musicians and athletes and brands. You mentioned Tupac and Hemingway. There's been a joke in the industry that we represent a lot of dead celebrities as well, uh, <laughs> which is just that we work with a lot of different estates. Basically, we bridge that gap. We bring them into Web3 and we you know, execute on any sort of vision they ultimately have. Uh, we're a studio in the sense that we also create uh, film, TV, video games, animated series, uh, digital collectibles, anything and everything Space, as long as it has a Web3 component to it. So we look at traditional avenues for distribution, but also non-traditional avenues. So releasing content specifically on the blockchain. So yeah, I mean, we, we've both, John and I have worked in the entertainment industry for over two decades. So we have so many connections and access to uh, different pieces of talent. Uh, I worked at Creative Artists Agency and Innovative Artists for a long time. So really a big part of that is just talking to the department's specific talent, asking what their vision is of Web3, what they want to create, and then executing on that. So every contract is kind of different and every entity is different. Some estates are really, you know, excited about leaning into technology, AI. You know, as an example, we teamed up recently with Steve McQueen Estate uh, and Triumph Motorcycles. We released a digital collectible, which was a really cool 3D immersive experience where you could hang out in the McQueen garage with a Triumph motorcycle. There was a McQueen portrait. It was fully immersive, so you could experience it in Sony spatial display or with VR and AR technology. That was just the first step. We sold a digital collectible, sold several hundred, have built a community of people that are part of the Steve McQueen racing team. And now we're going to deliver on a roadmap where the future is bright with, uh, we're hoping to do films. The McQueen Estate just created McQueen Films, where they're looking at doing three different potential biopics on Steve McQueen, which we co-produce. And then also on top of that, utilizing AI technology to create a racing simulation and video game where we literally bring Steve McQueen back to life, his likeness, uh, his voice. And, you know, you can watch the film, you can play the game. The simulation is going to allow you one of one of the films we're talking about is uh, 12 days of or sorry, 12 hours of Sebring, where uh, McQueen raced for 12 hours in a Porsche against Ferrari, Mario Andretti. And so we're going to replicate that race so you can actually race alongside McQueen in a Ferrari or in a in a Porsche. So it's it's kind of, you know, utilizing Web3 to distribute traditional content and then also gamifying it through different experiences. So every, everything's different with everyone that we work with, but we're, we're excited to be in the space and keep exploring it. 
John, I'm going to throw this your way. Like, you just seem to be in crypto, right? You're doing a bunch of things. You got the Toonstar thing. You got this thing. You got that thing. Like, we just can't get rid of you over here at Coindesk. And I just wanted to ask you, I think, like, last time you and I spoke was uh, at Consensus back in Austin in April. And obviously, a yeah. lot has transpired in Hollywood with the writer's strike. Clearly, a lot of conversations around uh, more equitable distribution around uh, intellectual property. So I wanted to just ask, really, like, how has the more recent development in the entertainment industry like informed your perspective on why you keep experimenting with these Web3 technologies? Well, we'll see how this develop with these recent, we say recent developments, we'll see how it develops. I mean, with the strike where, you know, everything is kind of up in the air. We're trying to figure out how writers, actors are going to be uh, compensating uh, moving from here on out when we have to deal with uh, burgeoning um, technologies like AI and just with streaming services that have been around for ages now. And and we're still trying to catch up with figuring out fair compensation. So, you know, what's great about this is, you know, when I was entered this world, really, it was more as a place where I could create, create content, well, get back into illustration and drawing, but also start out ideas that we can turn into animated shows, into possible movies, just content. And, you know, with learning about how the system works and a lot of that is, it feels like, okay, while it seems complicated, it also seems simple. You were dealing with uh, these crypto wallets and, and how you are compensated and how everything is like, there's no middleman. It's really this, this decentralized uh, area, you know, goes straight to the artist. It goes straight to uh, the, the creators. And so I think, um, it's there seems a lot more fairness there, but maybe because it hasn't become corrupted yet. <laughs> um, and you know, there's not too many fingers in the pie quite yet, and maybe never will be. I think that's uh, the kind of the the feeling that I get from when I you know attend some of these conferences and talk to all you guys who know way more about this than I do. But uh, it's so far, it's I've been. You know, my hand has been held for quite a lot of this process, and I feel pretty good about it. Uh, to piggyback off of that, uh, you know, John and I support the WGA strike, the SAG after strike, um, 100%. I think what's really interesting is we have quite a bit of support from the WGA and from SAG because a lot of the projects that we're working on do fall under the independent new media contracts. So they not only support us, they're, you know, encouraging us to work because. They, they still want their writers and their actors to be working, you know, and to be generating revenue and income. Um, and so we're trying to facilitate that. So obviously, we don't work with any companies that are struck, um, but we focus primarily right now, especially on uh, continuing to develop in Web3. So more of a non-traditional approach to development, producing and distribution. So really, you know, we're hoping that we can, you know, can continue supporting the artist. And to John's point, you know, we just love the technology. We love blockchain technology. We love being able to utilize uh, smart contracts. So like John said, the artist, the creator is actually getting compensated for the work that they do. You know, we've, we've been in film for a long time. And, and quite often when you sign a contract, you will be enticed to take points on the back end or percentages of a film or a TV show. And if it makes money, then you're supposed to make money. But so often that money disappears, right? Because the, the powers of B can say, oh, well, we spent extra money in marketing or insurance or we lost money here. And, you know, when you utilize blockchain technology and smart contracts, if you sign a contract and you own a certain percentage of that film uh, or project, then the money goes directly into your wallet. 
wallet, right? Because of that smart contract that's following all the financials. So it's much harder to hide or bury that money and, and artists is actually getting compensated for the work that they do. So we support that uh, as well and are excited about how that's going to continue to affect uh, traditional entertainment. All right, guys, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much for joining the show. We look forward to seeing um, all of these projects come to life. Thanks Thank so you. much for having us. That was Verified Labs co-founder John Heder, along with Verified Labs CEO and co-founder Justin Trevor Winters. All right, Zach, take us home. That's it for the show today. That was The Hash. I'm Zach. That's Jen. Will, we'll be back tomorrow. Check us out on the Podcast Network if you haven't already. And we hope that you have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye now. Bye. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 